Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, there has been a lot of dystopian, uh, Handmaid's Tale, uh, alternative creation story, remaking ourselves in our own image, demonic kind of news coming out of California and around the country. These are the inevitable conclusions, actually, of the sexual revolution and the bad seed of ideology that was planted many, many years ago. And now people are kind of like, what the hell's going on? This is not even America. Uh, yeah, welcome to what conservatives have been telling you for decades, that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And one of our favorite guests here at Unaborted to explain bad ideas and the consequences and victims that they have is Katie Faust of Them Before Us, the name of her organization, as well as the title of her first book, Them Before Us, uh, Defending Children's Rights, both sides of the womb, but particularly against the third-party reproductive technology cult and the gender ideology cult and how all of these various bad ideas harm the family, harm ch children, and actually attack children's natural right to be raised by the two individuals responsible for their existence, their mother and their father. We're going to get into all of that and more in some of the dystopian, uh, brave new world kind of legislation coming out of California that um, I might even have a hard time convincing you is actually happening in real time. Buckle up, you're in for a treat, I guess. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs> Before we get to our guest today, Katie Faust, uh, who is responsible for losing me donors um, because I have her on the podcast and talk about why in vitro fertilization is wrong and embryonic stem cell research is wrong. And we defend children's rights from the moment that they come into existence, the moment of conception, which pisses off a lot of conservatives. Before we welcome Katie back to the show, we want to tell you about our exclusive sponsor of Unaborted Right Now. That is Every Life, Every Life Diapers. I've been telling you this for the past few episodes. This is why we have Every Life as the first exclusive sponsor, because I've turned away other sponsors because I wasn't interested in sponsoring just socks or some cream for your face or some leadership program. Uh, we want to align ourselves with organizations and companies that are cut from the same cloth and are living for the truth in the public square. Every Life is America's pro-life diaper company, baby. Uh, baby intentionally. Every major diaper company in America supports or funds the abortion industry. How freaking weird and kooky is that? They literally fund the slaughter of babies in the womb while selling diapers to parents and grandparents and nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles who are buying diapers for their loved ones for unborn babies who have not been born yet. So they're profiting off of the lives of the unborn while funding the slaughter of the unborn. You can't make some stuff up. It's time to shop in alignment with your values. You can't defeat a culture of death by funding the very culture of death that you whine about and complain about. Take your dollars and spend it with Every Life Diaper. The only premium baby brand that is unapologetically pro-life with high-performing, supremely soft diapers and wipes that protect and celebrate every miraculous life. Go to everylife.com and use promo code SETH10, S-E-T-H-10, SETH10, 
for 10% off your order. And if you sign up for their auto renew package, because you're having babies and you're being fruitful and multiplying and you're exercising dominion, you get 20% off the auto renew package. Every life, the brainchild of my good friend, Michael Seifert and his team at Public Square, everylife.com. Katie Faust, then before us, the, uh, the, the pain in the arse to every libertarian and David French, uh, man without a chest conservative. Um, welcome back to the show. So, Katie, is a drag queen story hour a blessing of liberty? That's what David French taught me, and I, I was told he is a real conservative. Um, so, uh, what do you think? Oh, this is where we're starting. Let's just, <laughs> we can totally start here. Yeah, you know what a blessing of liberty is? It is making babies, right, protecting their rights, defending the most vulnerable, like, Liberty, what is liberty for? It's not libertinism. It is it is the freedom to choose the good, right? And what is the best good that you can choose? It is defending the most helpless. It is defending the ones that can't defend themselves. And you are doing that in terms of the unborn. We at them before us are seeking to do it, like you said, on both sides of the womb. But there's plenty of people, thank God, fighting for children's right to life. We just do that on the other side of the womb and we fight for children's right to their mother and father. And let me just say the diaper company that you just mentioned, they have a killer ad. I didn't know that you knew them. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah, yeah. needed their ad. And I was like, this They're is crushing we it. We want baby centric corporatism. That's what yep. we want, right? Corporate that's such a, that's that a great so phrase. Good. Such so a good phrase. I'm, I'm a borrow that from you. Baby centric <laughs> corporatism. I love that. Um, oh, well, well, anyways, uh, French, yeah, is what I say. French, yeah. Um, very, very, very good. David French needs to become an acceptable curse word in Christendom. Uh, French, yeah. Well, Katie, well, welcome back to the show. Th thanks for all that you're doing. Uh, thanks for the donors that you've cost me. Uh, and, and I think actually probably gained far more because people are in search of a bold, courageous uh, witness for the truth. Um, who can actually understand the crazy wokeness and evil and can actually speak to it and speak out against it and mobilize and equip people. Um, and yet, and yet, the reason you're so unpopular is because you're bringing the, that truth and that careful articulation of the moral law and natural law to issues that conservatives have um, caved on, right? Some of, some of the, the third-party reproductive technologies that have become so popular in the culture um, right. They, 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 we've imbibed those in the church and the conservative movement. And so I've got friends who actually like love and respect to, 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 to a large capacity, um, who still think, you know, in vitro fertilization is just another beautiful way that God's allowed families to make babies, um, and have not liked my comments on IVF or my comments on Paris Hilton. And so, so guys, what Katie does is, is she explains why we need to defend children's rights, because if you have human rights, you have them from the moment you became human. Therefore, surrogacy is purchasing children. It's buying babies um, well, and denying them their natural mother. Go ahead. I've lost you some followers. I know. I, well, and, you know, every time you have me on, hopefully the sting is going to be a little but less. I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But the, the thing is that we've also awakened a whole nother contingent of people who understand yeah. that when you are defending the rights of children, really, if you look at things from a child-centric lens, what you have is a seamless garment of child protection. And once you explain to people that only 7% of babies that are created via IVF, babies that are created in a laboratory will be born alive, the people that are truly pro-life, the people that really are saying, I, I, I'm in this fight really for the child, they go, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. What happens to the other 93% of the babies that 
they that a technician created rather than the babies created in the what happens to them and they listen right mm -hmm. and that is oftentimes the gateway for people to understand that these technologies starting with IVF but certainly continuing on to sperm donation and egg donation um, are not child-friendly technologies all of these technologies insist that the weakest mm -hmm. among us children sacrifice for the strong adults and especially those who adhere to a biblical worldview, right? That is simply incompatible with our worldview. I just tweeted the other day, you know, after seeing this horrible, like exhuming of mummificated child bodies from some Incan ceremony where they, they drugged children and, and then buried them alive, you know, to satisfy their gods. You know, it just dawned on me, like there are so many cultures throughout history that have practiced child sacrifice. And then many yeah. that have practiced virgin sacrifice. Yeah. And why is that, right? It's because these are the demographics that cannot fight back, right? If you've got right. somebody that is binding you and throwing you into volcano, it's the strongest in the tribe, the men who are doing it, you can't fight back. There is only one religion that centers around an adult human male voluntarily sacrificing himself for the weekend yeah. vulnerable even though he could have called down armies to battle on his behalf. So there's something antithetical about abortion, about the routine ways that IVF is conducted, about sperm and egg donation, and yes, about surrogacy that completely goes against the fundamentals of not just Christianity, but a Judeo-Christian worldview. So once people start to connect those dots, once people start to understand how children's lives are harmed and sacrificed and how their rights to their mother and father are harmed and sacrificed through these technologies. What we are seeing is pro-lifers end up being some of our strongest allies in this that's fight. That's right. That's right. That's well said. Um, that's beautiful. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I had never thought historically is quite as deep as you were just starting to go, which was really profound. Um, I always talk about the history of child sacrifice and, and baby sacrifice and all this stuff, right? Um, and that's like most cultures practice human sacrifice, actually. Uh, you you were actually a kind of a rare culture um, if, if you weren't practicing sacrifice, human sacrifice. But, but yeah, they would sacrifice virgins sometimes to like the weather gods and all these really kooky things. Um, and and I, it just kind of struck me like, so much of the sexual revolution's focus today is on children who are often virgins that they're sacrificing by also pumping them full of drugs. Like, And so this is why Cardinal Manning hit it on the head when he said all human conflict is ultimately theological. Um, like, like people live so religiously and so theologically um, while 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 claiming that they're anti-religious, they're agnostic, they're atheistic. There's no God. I'm just a secularist, and yet they tend to live like more religious and inculcate more weird secular sacraments than most Christians. Well, but it's but it seems to always have a thing about the kids, right? Well, like historically, it's the babies or it's the young kids who tend to be targeted, sacrificed, and abused the most. Absolutely, this is 100% right, and especially when your God is sex. When That's your right. body is sex, 
it's always the children that will be the sacrifice on the altar of adults' sexual desire, sexual feelings, sexual choices. And you really see that primarily with the abortion debate, right? Yeah. The need yeah. for free sex, my, yeah. my right to sex, my right to sexual pleasure. I, you know, for women, I have to have the same right to walk away from a pregnancy as a guy does, right? And this is all in the name of unlimited sex with whoever you want it, whenever you want it. And yep. children are losing their lives to that sexual God. And now we are seeing that, you know, not just the baby taking industry, hmm. but the baby making industry is yep. sacrificing children on the altar of sexual desire, sexual freedom. So, so what do you mean by that? You sound like a kooky conspiracy theorist. Uh, what do you, what, nobody, nobody's sacrificing children, Katie, you, you weirdo, you, you I must, know. you must live in Moscow, Idaho or something. It's not um, like what, children, what are you talking about? Yeah, It's not like 700,000, <laughs> you know, children were sacrificed to abortion. Um, what was it? 2020 were the figures that I saw last, but a, another 900,000 embryonic lives were lost to big fertility in that same year. And so, yes, very real children are dying so that we can eradicate the children we don't want and force into existence the children that we do want. Why? Because adults have a feeling. Because adults feel something, right? And if an adult yeah. feels something, then we can discard, design, destroy children but How Katie, but Katie, I love I love babies so much. I'm pro life. I want there to be more babies. Who are you to tell an infertile, struggling to have a baby Christian pro life couple that they don't have the right to use IVF when God loves babies? Yeah. So this is this is a very real challenge because I know I know my I know friends that are struggling with infertility, and it's crushing. And I know that they can't think about anything else is the only thing that they think about, right? They are desperate for a child. They would say they're desperate for a child and they are right to long to be a mom and they are mm. right to long for children, but no adult gets to violate the rights of a child, either to life or to their mother and father. Even if what you want is a God-given, wonderful, virtuous desire, it mm. is not, it is an injustice for adults to ask children to sacrifice Right. Even if there's something that they want that is innate and good, that is simply not the way that justice works. And it is certainly not the way that a Christian worldview works. Sometimes well, it's rep reproductive no. justice, reproductive justice. Right. Yeah. Well, reproductive justice just means child sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always what it means. Reproductive <laughs> justice for adult. In fact, I just wrote, you know, that equality for adults always means inequality for children. I mm. There's an article I wrote last month in the couple weeks ago in the Washington Examiner um, that talks about all of this stuff about gay marriage was passed in the name of adult equality and the constant mm. victims of adult equality in, in, in relation to marriage and family is child inequality. It is always children that lose a relationship with their mother or father so that adults can have the equality that supposedly now the Supreme Court has deemed that they have. So I know you wanted to talk about the California bill, but the California bill that they're considering right now to mandate that insurance cover unlimited embryo. Well, first of all, that redefines infertility. Right. And they're doing this in the name of equality. Right. It's not fair that I yeah. that I aren't, that aren't they calling it fertility equality. So they are they are redefining <laughs> fertility. So I don't know if they're calling it 
they do, they call it reproductive equality, right? That's what. Yeah, it is. yeah. So really quick, guys, like <laughs> before, what, what Katie's about to tell you guys, just notice that the the left labels whatever they really want to write, yes. and then they masquerade that human rights agenda under the language of equality. Absolutely. Um, so so just notice that, like, anytime you hear a leftist or like a kooky humanist talking about human rights and human equality, you could probably bet your bottom dollar that it's a human rights abuse. Yeah. But, uh, so it's SB 729 and tell us why this thing is like a freaking handmaid's tale, dystopian, totalitarian thing. Well, we spend a lot of chapter one in our book talking about what are rights, because especially when you talk about children's rights, that term has been so adulterated by the left because it's never children's rights. It's always damaging, destructive adult ideologies smuggled in under the guise of children's rights. So we spend some time talking about what is a natural right? Children have a natural right to life. And then we use those same metrics to say, it's obvious that children also have a natural right to their mother and father. So properly identify what a right is. And generally on the left, anything they really, 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 really want is conveniently framed as a right. We need to start understanding and properly using the nature and the language of, of true rights, because hmm. it is on that basis that I think the pro-life world has actually made a lot of progress against abortion. So yeah. let's talk about crazy California. First of all, they are redefining infertility because infertility obviously is unfair, unjust, <laughs> and unequal. Typically, medically, the way you define infertility is unprotected heterosexual intercourse for at least 12 months that does not result in a pregnancy or a live birth. Wow, look at you. That, you're, a, you're like a dictionary. That was, I mean, oh, that well, was a great, great definition. <laughs> we spend a lot of time in this world at them before us. <laughs> Very specific. Good. You gotta find reproductive justice. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's not fair because what happens is once you have been diagnosed as infertile, now insurance, many insurance plans will cover your IVF costs, right? And now that can fall under, like, I don't have to pay as much or completely for this way to have babies. But of course, that is a discriminatory definition <laughs> of infertility because yeah. there are singles and there are same-sex couples that are not engaging in heterosexual sex. And therefore, yeah. you know, the kind of sex that they are either not engaging in at all or engaging in with a partner are non-procreative methods of sexual um, in interaction. And so they are redefining infertility to include singles and same-sex couples so that they can have the insurance coverage benefits. So this is in the name of equality, right? We have the founder of the bill saying this is going to make things more equal for singles <laughs> and same-sex couples that want to have children. Because obviously, Obergefell legalizing same-sex marriage did not make them completely. What makes them completely equal? Making motherless and fatherless children. That is how they become completely equal. Wow. So first of all, the bill redefines fertility to cover non-procreative relationships and single adults who only have half of a reproductive system and need to purchase the other half. So the next thing. Right. Just, just a single adult who wants a kid, right? Yes. There's just no interest in, in finding the opposite sex and getting married, just like I want a kid. Yeah. Wow. Man, go read Obama's 2008 Father's Day message. He sounds like a, he sounds like a based conservative. Okay. Obama in 2008 is a bigot, according to the left lexicon today. You go yeah. read that Father's Day message in 2008, he sounds like Reagan or something. 
<laughs> well, so was Hillary Clinton. You know, I mean, none of them came around to gay marriage until 2012. Yeah, yeah. Like we're we're just a little more than 10 years on the other side of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in addition, you know, it's not enough that they cover IVF costs. They will cover the purchasing of your child's genetic mother or father, right? Insurance companies will be required to purchase somebody else's sperm or somebody else's egg so that you can separate a child from their mother or father at the moment of conception and on somebody else's dime, right? So also it's unfair that some of these men, single men, double men, triple men don't have a womb. And right now wombs are still required to make a baby. You know, you and I talked a little bit in our last episode about the advent of artificial wombs and why yeah. that is not the win for pro-lifers that you think that it is. It is going to be yeah. the most egregious oh, yeah. child farm, child factory you're ever going to see. But oh, right yeah. Now, organ, organ harvesting, oh, eugenics, the whole, yeah. Customization options. So right now you still need a womb. And so this bill will also pay for the medical expenses of a woman to rent out her womb to you. So, and so, so, na thing. so, so nature is discriminatory, Katie. Nature is the bigot. So, nature so, Cali so <laughs> nature is a bigot. Yeah. That is such a good title of a book. Oh yeah. my gosh, you're you're brilliant. Some some conservative needs to write a book called Nature is a Bigot and just explain how they get the natural world wrong on every tentacle of the Leviathan of humanism. That is brilliant, Katie. Uh, so nature is a bigot. Therefore, California taxpayers need to pay for my child creation because I prefer to send my sperm up a butt. And I don't I don't want to be forced into um the sexually natural institution that creates children because I prefer dudes. And so you need to pay for that, that Hispanic woman's eggs, which are cheaper than the white woman's eggs generally, so that I can create 10 children in a lab, seven of which won't survive the thawing process. And three of them can be released into my sister's womb who will carry our child all footed by the taxpayer. Just just to put this in, the, is that what you're talking about? So right now it's not footed by the taxpayer. It's footed by insurance companies that will be- Oh, even great. <laughs> However, <laughs> it might stall. The bill might be stalling because it's not something that will apply to Medicare, Medicaid um, people. So the poor will be excluded. And that might be the thing that stops this bill is that the poor will be excluded from- creating motherless and fatherless children in laboratories. So we will see whether or not the taxpayers foot the bill or not. Oh my gosh. So um, this writer, Daniel McCarthy, Katie, has been writing about this, this bill and kind of the premises at work in it. And he's termed the new law biosocialism. Um, and here's what he says. He says the old industrial socialism meant asserting control over the means of production. Biological socialism is when government manages the means of reproduction. Who's this guy? Daniel McCarthy. And wow. he says, he says, Katie, the new biological socialism doesn't just argue that economic conditions are unfair. It argues that nature itself is discriminatory and must be corrected. Karl Marx didn't think big enough. Why expropriate anything else? 
when you can seize the factories that make men and women Wow. What are your what are your thoughts? No, who is this guy and how have I not heard of him and where is he writing? <laughs> That's Daniel McCarthy uh writing about this bill SB729 and I'll get That's the exactly article for right. you. He's exactly right. And uh, you know, unfortunately, we still need men and women to participate in this. Uh, it's oh. expensive. There's a lot of contracts. It's very messy, right? People tend to bond. You know, women tend are still bonding with the babies that they're making and so we still have some hurdles to really, really bypass all of these natural bonds and natural designs, but we're getting there, right? Marx <laughs> in his, you know, bio-socialism dreams that, it, that, that he didn't dream big enough, it's on the way. Yeah, wow. So, okay, so th this bill inevitably leads me to ask this question, Katie. Um, do you think that this bill will allow or plant the premises for a future wherein women are forced mm. into offering up their uteruses with or without pay to indulge the sexual delusions of men who don't are not in procreative relationships <laughs> i don't think that they will be forced by mandate but it is economically vulnerable women who sign yes. up for this gig, right? This whole thing of like, oh, it's my sister. Oh, it's this nice friend. That happens occasionally. But overwhelmingly, it is economically vulnerable women who are signing up to offer up their bodies for what is always a high-risk pregnancy. It is always the economically vulnerable women who are using this sort of as a side hustle, right? Because they need the money. Why is it that surrogacy agencies advertise on military bases for surrogates? Right. right, because those are the women that are younger, healthier. They tend to already have children. They don't have the same kind of economic advantages. And so they tick all the boxes for people that would be good womb renters. So they know where to look for these. And when the white women in the United States won't do it or they're too expensive, right, they go to Mexico. Or haven't, they go you, haven't you said before that black and brown wombs are a lot cheaper than white wombs? Absolutely. That's exactly right. I mean, unless so this is going to create this is, Ukraine, and right, then those, this, white, those white wombs are a little bit cheaper because you're getting the war discount for them. But geez. yeah, I mean, right now there was just a story a couple weeks ago about a New Jersey couple who created a baby through surrogacy who was stuck in Mexico um, because they went to Mexico because it was a lot cheaper than using a surrogate in the United States. But the judge wouldn't let the baby leave the country. Because the woman in New Jersey was not genetically related. They used an egg donor. Uh, the birth mother was Mexican, obviously. And this process was indistinguishable from child trafficking. It looked as though they were paying the birth mother for a baby because they were paying the birth mother. <laughs> yes, yes, because they were. That's and right, this is that's right. this is actually that goes completely against adoption best practice. I used to be the assistant director at the largest Chinese adoption agency in the world, and I was responsible for making sure that we were in compliance with international best practice around mm. adoption. And one of the big, big cautions in adoption is making sure you never get to the point where there's coercion, there's trafficking. And one of the main ways you know whether or not it's trafficking is, is money going to the birth mother, the birth father, the birth family. If it is, it's trafficking. And in big fertility, 
surrogacy, egg donation, sperm donation, money is always going to the birth mother, the birth father, the genetic mother, the genetic father, right? And so these kids are getting stuck overseas because the judge has no way to know, is this a valid surrogacy contract or is someone just paying this brown woman for her child? Wow, jeez Louise. So you tell uh, a short story in your book, Them Before Us, and it's been a while since you came on. It's only like three sentences, but but um, I want you guys to listen to this because I, my favorite thing is to make is to make leftism look asinine. I mean, it's to it's to reduct you out absurdum. It's to invert. It's to turn arguments on their head. Um, and Katie actually did this here in Them Before Us. Listen to this, guys. Teresa Erickson was sentenced to prison for selling babies, but her crime. Her crime was not selling babies to non-biologically related adults, which is a common occurrence for big fertility. Hers was a crime of process. You see, Teresa Erickson's timing caused her prison sentence. Her enterprise would have been entirely legal had the surrogacy contract been signed before conception. Signing the contract after conception fell into the baby selling category. Only a profit blind industry could behave as if the timing of a contract would alleviate a child's genealogical bewilderment, feelings of commodification, and mother loss trauma. So, uh, based on that story, because we've been kind of like we've been kind of up here in the like sixty thousand foot view of ideas, let's let's go down really quick. And I want to ask you this question: um, What do the adults of surrogacy? What are their stories when they're allowed to tell them? Because let's be honest, Anderson freaking Cooper's never going to have one of them on to tell their story on CNN. What do is is there a resounding um, common denominator? And if so, what do the the children who were the experiments of third party reproductive technologies have to say when they're adults and understand what happened to them? Um, because I thought we were supposed to speak our truth. Um, and, and let women speak and, and uh, me too. Well, what are the me too stories of, of these victims of the sexual revolution? Well, it's a fairly recent occurrence that is making babies without sex. This is <laughs> our species, okay? It has only been happening for really uh, like maybe 60 years that we've had IVF. And then we have been using sperm donation largely for 50-ish years. Sperm is easy to get to, so we've been doing that a lot longer. Eggs are harder to extract, so that hasn't been happening as long. Maybe the last 20 or 30 years that became kind of prominent. Figuring out how to extract sperm egg, put them in a petri dish, and then successfully insert them into another woman, that is even newer, right? Mm -hmm. So what you've got is you've got a lot of kids created through sperm donation who are now old enough to talk about it and brave enough to talk about it. Um, and now we have fewer, but still quite a few egg donor children who are old enough to talk about it and brave enough to talk, not as many, but some. And you've got hardly any children created through surrogacy who are old enough and brave enough to talk about it, right? Wow. And so we have a few testimonies of children created through surrogacy that are listed in our book. And I think that the overwhelming, well, the, what they say is it's, it's trauma on a child. And this is something that we really need to understand, especially from the pro-life community. I think all of us, if we talk to somebody who is in an unplanned pregnancy, if you're volunteering at a pregnancy resource center, you're talking to that woman and you're saying, you don't say you're going to be a mom. You say, 
yeah. you already are a mom. Right, right. That baby already knows you, loves you. Right. It recognizes your voice. You're the only person in their entire world. You are their entire world. Like love that baby, read to the baby, play music to the baby, right? That baby already knows who you are. And most women, you know, who have had a baby unplanned or not, they have a pretty fierce protectiveness of their child, right? Even in utero, I wasn't the mom who was sappy and bonding with my kid. But once you put that baby in my arms, I was like, everybody get the hell away. This is my child. Did <laughs> you come near yeah. them? Right. There is yeah, a bond yeah. that develops between mother and child, even though the yeah. mother has dozens or hundreds of other relationships. What kind right. of bond do you think the baby has with the mother? Mm. Right. A bond where the word bond is too weak to describe right. exactly what's happening there. Right? right. As far as the child knows, they are one and the same because they were literally one and the same. Yeah. So that is what surrogacy is. It is the intentional severing of that bond. And so we can presume that those children are going to experience the same kind of struggles that adoptees experience that were adopted at birth. And I am an adoptive mom. I am pro-adoption. And I will never minimize the kind of loss that stems from adoptive relationships, right? Adoption begins with loss for the baby, for the birth mother. And- right even though adoptive parents are wealthier, spend more time with their children on average than the average biological parent, um, are more educated, tend to have even more stable marriages than the average family, break up less yeah. often than the average family, adoptees still struggle more with externalizing mm. disorders in school, academically, with their own relationships. And many of those adoptees would say, it's because I lost a relationship with the only person I knew the moment that I was born. And it set me back nine and a half months when it comes to trust and attachment and development. And some of wow. them would say, I didn't get over it. Now, does that wow. mean we condemn adoption? Obviously not. It does mean that we should never casually or commercially sever the bond between mother and child unless there is a drastic tragedy or need. Wow. Wow. That's so well said. Um, so I think one of the, uh, inevitable results of this new iteration in the handmaid's tale leftist utopia, um, which is starting in California to some degree, uh, is going to be more horror stories like the one we recently heard of about a cancer-ridden surrogate who was forced and told to abort the baby by the paying parents. Um, can you tell us what's going on with this story that was kind of making the media rounds? And then I want to talk about, like, what are the premises working there? Because, like, uh, meaning you, if you're on board with surrogacy and third-party reproductive technologies and you've imbibed those premises, you can't condemn this story. Um, cause it's a natural outgrowth of what you support, but what, but this thing was so sick and, and ought to make any pro-choice moderate, um, sick. So, um, can you break this down for us? Yeah, it was the story of a, a 
second time surrogate mom named Brittany Pearson, who was 37. She already had four kids of her own. It was her second surrogate pregnancy. She really loved the first experience. She decided to do it again. Sounds like she also has another job. She's the primary breadwinner for her family, right? So this is another way to support her four children and her husband, apparently. And she went through this process. And when she was 24 weeks, I believe she got this cancer diagnosis that initially they thought, Okay, so she's 37. She doesn't have a history of breast cancer wow. in her family. But people who serve as surrogates have to pump themselves full of all kinds of hormones, inject them themselves to prepare to receive the embryo that will be transferred from the freezer or, you know, from the petri dish. And right. the reality well, can you is explain like, why that is again? Because their body has to artificially prepare for implantation, yeah. right? This is not something that is happening according to their own cycle. They have to prepare their cycle for the implantation so that the, the uterus is ready to receive a new baby. Because so, nature because nature is a bigot. Because nature is a bigot. Nature doesn't know that these two men have custom ordered a child that needs to be implanted, you know, on August 10th or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know. And the, her body would know if she was having regular sexual intercourse with her own husband, right? They would, the all of that creation of the child and implantation would already be automatically built into the way her body is wired. But right. when we're working outside of that system, you have to inject, these women inject themselves for weeks leading up to this to prepare their body to receive the lab created embryo, right? Hmm. So she's already done that once. And then she gets this bizarre cancer diagnosis of not just a, a small cancer, but a rapidly growing cancer that initially they said, we're going to be able to treat this um, using chemotherapy that's safe enough for the baby so that you should be able to make it until about 34 weeks and then deliver. But then upon further examination, they realized that it was a rapidly growing cancer and she was going to need to take harsh um, chemotherapy that would kill the child. Mm -hmm. And so she said, because she's a mom and she's already mothering this child and she already has a bond with the baby. She went to the two fathers, the two dads, the two men, uh, because one of them might be the father. One of them is an unrelated guy that has never gone through any screening or background checks, FYI, um, and said, I, I have to deliver this baby right now. Um, the baby would be 26 weeks, so very, very premature, but we've had viable children. We've had children that were non-viable technically, but then with all of the developments that we have in NICU technology, yeah. They were able to survive. And by the time they're in preschool or kindergarten, they're doing great, right? Yeah, like 20, so it was 20, a long 22 shot. weeks, 22 yeah. weeks, babies have been born. Yeah, It was a long shot, but she wanted to let this child live. And the two men said, no, kill the baby. And she said, well, I can find a hospital that would deliver them. Um, and yeah, they'll be in the NICU for a while. And the, the two men said, we don't want a disabled child, kill the child. And she said, okay. I have people that will adopt this baby. I've got people lined up who are happy to adopt the baby. Will you let me deliver the child? And then if the baby survives, they'll adopt the baby. And the two men said, no, we don't want our DNA out there. So they didn't want a disabled child. They didn't want somebody else to possibly raise their own child. They wanted the child dead. And contractually, most hospitals would not help her because they would be violating the surrogacy contract. So she ended up delivering the child. She won't say whether or not she found a hospital to try to deliver the baby live or if it was an abortion. The baby was born on Father's Day and neither of the men were there. Yeah. It goes. 
Katie, that reminds me of something Chesterton said. The story you just told me just it just hit me in the head. Chesterton once said, "If if if Darwinism was the doctrine of the survival of the fittest, then eugenics was the doctrine of the survival of the nastiest." Whoa. Um, what a pair of nasty men. That is that. What nasty individuals it takes let's, let's to talk say about like, that. even if someone wanted to adopt my baby, it doesn't matter. I don't want my DNA out there. Like, <laughs> wow. So think about this, right? They probably paid eight to ten thousand dollars for eggs, right? They paid to have their one of their or both of their sperm um, combined with this egg. Paid the storage fees to have them frozen, screened determined which one they wanted to implant. Um, they probably went through a long process of finding a surrogate because it is hard to find women that will rent their wombs out. They probably paid a lot of money because this was a white woman in California who had already done this, so she was probably a good candidate. So they, at this point, had probably put in $150,000 for the process. And you don't want a defective product. If you're spending $150,000 for a baby, you want the baby you ordered. You don't want another kid. And it's not just that you don't want the baby you ordered. You want the baby order that you ordered when you ordered it at the right delivery date. And so this is a natural consequence of the mindset of we are customizing, purchasing, designing, and, and, and if we're doing that, we can also discard, right? Yeah. Effective products. So yeah. this is absolutely... I think that they made a logical choice given what they went into this thinking, you know, that we can purchase and design the child that we want and we don't want a defective child. Yep. Well, if you can murder the unborn, you can certainly sell the unborn. <laughs> yep. I mean, if, if murdering the unborn is healthcare, then selling them is capitalism. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and this is it. Like, this is why we talk at them before us about why abortion and reproductive technologies are two sides of the same child commodifying coin, right? Both of them see children as objects. Both of them treat children as commodities. Abortion says, if a child is unwanted, I can violate their right to life and force them out of existence. Big fertility says, if a child is very wanted, I can violate their right to their mother and father and force them into existence, right? In both of these situations, the child's rights are dependent on the desires of adults, right? What happens to the child's rights really just depends on what do the adults want? And the only metric on whether or not the procedure was successful is are the adults happy at the end? Mm -hmm. It's not that the child survived or that the child has a relationship with their mother and father. The only metric for success in the baby making industry and the baby taking industry are, are the adults happy? And then probably did we get paid, right? That's, mm. that's how you determine whether or not it was successful. So if nature is a bigot, and so we have to redefine the word fertility, <laughs> um, and children don't have a right to life in the womb in California, therefore they don't have a right to anything. Yes. <laughs> If you don't have the right to life, you don't have any rights at all. Um, then as a culture war conservative, Katie, let's enter the realm of speculation. And let's ask this question and let them put a tin hat on us, whatever. 
Um, the slipper. How far is this slippery slope? I mean, <laughs> we're way further than Bill Buckley predicted, <laughs> and yet uh, it seems every conservative pundit has predicted that slippery slope almost to the T. But um, if nature is a bigot, then where can we expect this to go next? Okay, so so you know we can kill babies through point of birth. Um, we're we're threatening to remove the medical licenses of pro life OBGYNs who share abortion misinformation defined by the Biden administration. We're arresting pro-life sidewalk counselors. We're threatening nurses and nurse practitioners to assist with abortions upon threat of career termination. And one of the first things the Biden administration did was drop a lawsuit against a Vermont hospital where that had happened, therefore insinuating that that's okay to be pressured into performing abortion upon threat of career termination. We're redefining the word fertility. We're making insurance companies, we're, they're trying to pass a bill to make insurance companies foot the bill of... Um, renting a brown woman's womb and extracting this other woman's egg and putting it in this other woman's body so these two men can call themselves parents. And the CDC is recommending that healthcare providers um, help men who have developed fake breasts through estrogen um, pumping um, also give them a substance and that helps them excrete a substance from their male tit so that they can get off on their pedophilic high of making a baby suck on their male tit. Um, the, the, I guess the question is, Katie, um, if nature is a bigot, what will they seek to redefine next? And and what kind of conclusions do you think we might be living through 10 years from now if we tolerate SB 729? Like oh, enter, enter the realm of speculation with me. And like, what do you think is possible given the kind of moral premises that the Democrats are trying to implant in the law in California right now with some of these bills? Well, right now, custom order children are too expensive. So we're going to need to lower the price, right? That's that's a really big area. And so, and it still is pretty discriminatory that you still need a male and a female gamete. So we're going to need to derive that from two men somehow, right? And so they are working on that. Trying that's right. They are. Talk right? more about that. How are they trying to do that? Well, is it, is, it some, is it somatic cell nuclear transfer? Yes, or... yes, yes, right. It's Well, so you've got the MRT, the mitochondrial transfer, right, where you're going to have a three-person embryo by taking out the unhealthy mitochondria, putting in a donor egg or a healthy egg into that, and then using a sperm. So you have trace amounts of a third person. But that is heralded as, oh, goody, you know, now a same-sex couple can both be genetically related to a child. So we've reduced some of the natural bigotry. Well, that's that's why they're doing it, right? That's why they're doing it. That's not why they're doing it. They're claiming that it is a restorative therapy for women that have unhealthy mitochondria. Um, and sure. some, some conservatives have said, is this restorative? Like, is it okay to do this? But the reality is that in terms of the family redefinition world, right? This is a way for them to be truly equal right. so they can both be biologically related. Well, what but a, I thought what biology agenda. didn't matter. And so why is it that <laughs> related matters here, but you're just gonna purchase a sperm donor over here? And the answer is biology matters if the adults want it to matter. But if it yeah. doesn't matter to the adults, then it doesn't Ooh. matter, right? Wow, that's, wow. that's how that works. So you've got the three person embryo, you've got um, the creating sperm or egg from a skin cell or some other cell so that you don't need to have to go to a woman's eggs or a guy's sperm. And that will continue to make adults more equal because then they don't have to purchase gametes from a third party. 
like you said, like we discussed, you guys should go back and listen to the episode that Seth and I did on artificial wombs, because it um, that was right after China like announced that they were working on artificial wombs. You had that video yeah. going around of like the artificial womb factory, the very matrix looking thing that is in the future, right? Because right now, the most expensive part of the baby making process, purchasing egg, purchasing sperm, purchasing womb is the womb. That's the most yeah. expensive part. And if you can cut out needing to rent the body of an actual woman for nine and a half months, you're going to drop the price so fast. And then you're going to be able to gestate. And then David kids, French, right? David French will come in and say, this is a blessing of liberty. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's just going to be a brave new world. I mean, it's wow. going to be a brave new world. I mean, we already are part of the way there. But really, we are looking at, I mean, we have got to get our facts straight right now about the technologies that exist right now that are victimizing children right now, because it is only going to get more dystopic and cheaper because the, the cheaper it gets, the more the market is going to drive ethics rather than our convictions, um, rather than tried and true realities about who children are and what they need. I mean, we have to start defending children right now in both the baby taking and the baby making industry, because 10 years from now, um, we're not even going to be able to recognize, we are not even going to be able to answer the question who is a parent, because we have absolutely destroyed how children come to be. Well, this is what happens, Katie, when you, when you sever, um, biological realities from objectively objectively knowable things so it, 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 if if body self-dualism is true if not if the gnostics were right and our real person is not our body because biology provides no rational basis um for who the real person is it, it doesn't give any signs or pointers to understanding our true identity it's just it's just random it's just stuff it's just flesh right? Materialism. We're just the product of a blind, uh, purposeless, meaningless, accidental process of electrified sludge that happened to arrange itself into what we call consciousness. So the, the body means nothing. You can't deduce any, any truth from the body. Um, it's just who I feel like I am on the inside, right? And, and so inwardly, I'm Sally. That's who I really am. Um, and, and so if, if, if the real person is is not biological and 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 we're not bodies and souls we're just souls and the body's like uh like what did uh what did aristotle and kant talk about like it's like a, a it's like a ghost driving a car like it's just like it's just a vessel that the real person whoever that is the real identity happens to inhabit but if we can no longer deduce truths from our body then we hand over to the state the 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 necessary job because someone has to do it of defining what nature used to define for us and, and so nature used to define who was a father and a mother and therefore they had sort of metaphysical duties that flowed from biological realities but it, but if we can't deduce that from the natural world anymore then we inevitably hand over the the power to the state to define who what a parent is and who qualifies as one uh, right. and, and this has happened on basically every new iteration of the sexual revolution and what we call humanism. We did the same thing with gender. If you sever it from the real person, then you hand over to the state the power to define gender, not according to biological realities, 
but according to your identity. Um, and, and so therefore, I now, as Sally, I'm, I'm demanding the right to enter the women's restroom because, damn it, I'm a woman. And now biology can't tell us what a man or a woman is anymore. And so the state gets to define what a man and woman is. You see the damage that, like, if you're listening to this, like, I hope you guys see, like, if nature is a bigot and everything has to be redefined, who defines it? That's right. This, <laughs> you're exactly right. And we talk about this at Them Before Us a lot that what biology prohibits the state has to accomplish, you know, especially when it we'll comes say that again, what biology prohibits the state must accomplish. Mm -hmm. And we see that, especially in family redefinition, biology prohibits two men from becoming parents. And so the state has to accomplish that by redefining what parenthood is. Right. So they do that through, you know, we typically would identify parentage based on biology. This is my biological child or yep. adoption because you've gone through the process of proving to a couple external organizations that you're actually going to love and care for this child as if they had been born to. So those are the legitimate historical bases for parenthood, but that's bigoted. It's yep. a big, it's a bigoted because two men can't be biologically related and it's too burdensome for them to go through an adoption process. And so what we've done is we've redefined parenthood by introducing a new basis for parenthood and that is intent. I yep. intend to parent this child. I'm the intended parent. Therefore, oh, I can tell that story. Child. Tell that story, Katie, for our listeners of that bonkers story of the, the gay couple. And then and then the child went with the non-biological parent mm -hmm. because he had intended to parent, even though he had no biological relationship. Do you remember this one? So what you might be referring to Wild. is we wrote an amicus brief on. Yes. Yes. So we, at Them Before Us, wrote an amicus brief on behalf of a biological father who fathered two children. He was the biological father. The, um, the woman that had the baby was the genetic mother and the birth mother, and she was the sister of his partner. So in essence, the biological mother was the aunt of the kid. Right. Okay. And so the other father was the uncle. So it was a biological dad and an uncle, right? And they were, let's see about this. I think that they were married, but then soon after that divorced and the biological father took the children out of state, which was completely legal at the time. But then the New York court retroactively applied a marriage provision that said he should not have taken the children out of state and awarded the children to the uncle in the name of equality, right? Because according to gay marriage, they were both equally parents. So it's like in that situation, gay marriage actually stripped a gay father of his two biological children. So, but so the, the children- right? That's equality. The, equality demands that you strip right. children from their parent, right? So because, the, because sorry, so, so the, 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 the two men and the one the one who took the children um was the the non uh was the biological father right but his his ex gay partner um provided no 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 nothing he provided nothing he provided yeah. a handmade sister that's what he provided he provided his sister to be the surrogate jesus right. yeah yeah. And that's so like we we see that still like there's been other cases that have come up of like two women who had a child. Right. But one woman is not related to that baby at all. Right. One woman 
carried the child, they got a sperm donor, and then those women, those women split up because newsflash, lesbians break up a lot more than everybody else do, right? So it's very common for lesbians to start out with the child together and then break up soon after. You know, I've I met a kid who lives on the East Coast who was born to two moms, but now has five because that's how it works, right? You start with two, they split, they repartner, now the baby has four. They split at some point, and now that they have two more over here, and then another one that's kind of floating out in the nebula, right? So, so it gets very complicated with unrelated adults at some point. And so off, you know, there's been other cases where two women have started out with a baby, which is completely genetically related to one mom who carried the, and then completely unrelated to the other mom. And then they split, but the court awards custody or joint custody or split custody to both moms because of equality. Even though the biological mom in one case was actually like living with and married mm -hmm. to the child's genetic father. And yet the father wasn't recognized as a parent, but the ex girlfriend was. So yeah. I feel it's like, a, I feel like the, plan. The princess bride right now, Katie. I, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah. Um, so let's recap. They, um, when they stripped biology from, from reality, we redefined the right to life. So the unborn could be killed because the only way the state can legalize abortion is to deny the relevance of biology and declare that some biological humans are not persons. So the state has to take onto itself the authority of defining uh, which humans qualify for the status of personhood. This is how Nancy Piercy puts it. Um, the capacity to think, feel, and desire. The same reasoning is now being applied to euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicide as well. So we strip biology from natural realities and the state defined an entire class of human beings out of existence. What did we do next? Marriage. In the past, the state recognized marriage as a pre-existing reality, um, something that followed metaphysically on the fact that humans are a sexually reproducing species. So the law merely recognized this as a prior fact. But the only way the state can treat same-sex couples the same as opposite-sex couples is to deny the relevance of biology and declare marriage to be a state of mind, what you think, feel, and desire. So the state has to take unto itself the authority to define what marriage is and which emotional commitments qualify as marriage. So we strip biology from the natural world with the preborn and with marriage, and we let the state define those, those institutions in terms for us. Then what are we doing? We did gender because the state used to recognize gender as a pre-existing reality, something that followed metaphysically on your biological sex. But we strip biology from the natural world. And so... Um, the only way the law can treat a trans woman born male the same as a biological woman is to deny the relevance of biology and declare gender to be a state of mind, what you think, feel, and desire. The state is taking on itself the authority to define legal gender independent of your biological sex. And now what are we redefining? Parenthood itself. Right. We redefined life, marriage, gender, and now we're redefining who a parent is and who qualifies as one? This is what right. are they going to redefine next? Yeah. Well, uh, probably what it means to be a child. I mean, pedophilia. Or a, or a human. You're right. It'll be child. And then it'll be what is a human transhumanism. We don't exactly. even know what human beings are anyways. Yeah, that's exactly right.
Brave yeah, it's time for indeed. the it's time for those of us with a robust child honoring worldview and and pro human worldview, the one that says your body is not an obstacle to your true self, it is your true self. <laughs> like the one that yeah. understands we're a mind body unity and there's yep. consequences that flow from that. And, that, and that's theological. That's, that's, that's like that's like Christianity. If you don't get that right, yeah, have, have, you, have you guys not noticed the horror that has resulted from not getting the, the understanding of the human, right? And the soul right. and the body. I've said like, I, you know, I'm in Seattle and there's a lot of churches that are quiet about this and they'll say, we just want to preach the gospel. That's, that's the nicest way to explain them. <laughs> yes. And, um, except and, for Cedar park church, Cedar park church in Bothell, Washington. Okay. So, yeah, so we've got some rock star churches up here, but the majority of them are quiet. And here's the problem with that. Like they'll say, we just want to preach the gospel. We want to talk about who Jesus is. We want to like give people the path for salvation. And I'll say, okay, so here's the deal. Like there's this quote from Luther and he said, where the battle rages, their loyalty of the soldier is proved, right? Where is the battle raging right now? It is on everything that has to do with sex, gender, marriage, life. So in the first couple centuries of the church, they have to deal with the question of what is the nature of God? Is it a triunity? Is it modalism where the father turns into the son who turns into the spirit? Is Jesus 50-50? Was he 100% God, 100% man? Was it Gnosticism where there wasn't a body and he was just faking it the whole time? Right? Christians fought and died over this. They were persecuted over this. And finally, we came to an agreement right? Three in one, 100% God, 100% man. Um, and we moved forward and then we got to the Reformation. And then the question is, what is the nature of salvation? How do you get saved, right? Is it through indulgences? Is it priests? Is it rites? Is it sola scriptura, sola gratia? Is it, what is it? And we fell in different camps, but we came to answers about what is the nature of salvation. Now, the question that every Christian, every especially Christian theologians send us these people need to be answering is what is the nature of man? What is the nature of man? Every single culture war issue we are facing today from abortion to euthanasia, to transhumanism, to pornography, to marriage, to transgenderism, to reproductive technologies all have to do with what is the nature of man? Yep. Church. That is where you need to put your chips. That is where you need to put your soldiers, right? That is the battle that is raging. We do need to know that it is a triunity and Jesus is the only way to heaven, but that is not where the metal of the soldier is going to be proved. Right now, the world needs us to answer the question, what does it mean to be human? And literal lives are at stake. Don't think that you can get through this without the battle raging, some of you being sacrificed, killed, and canceled. That is how it has worked throughout church history, right? But this is the battle that has to be fought today. And we have got to get off the sidelines and into battle because people, their lives are at stake, especially children's lives. Yep. Always the kids. Always the Always kids. Always the kids. Yep. And the younger, the better in, in Satan's view. Yeah. Um, well, Katie, I got to get you on. The, we got to get you on more stages. That was one of the most uh, profound, high level, and then back to the real world conversations i've ever had um voltaire well, on everything so come back <laughs> katie uh to to put a a ribbon on literally what you just said and why it's important voltaire once said those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities 
Yes. Um, and the church is allowing people to believe absurdities and we're believing them ourselves because everything is liturgical. Everything is a liturgy. Everything is is screaming for your attention and discipling you into a certain vision of the good life and what human flourishing looks like. This is a liturgy. Yeah. Everything is a liturgy. And so when you don't preach and speak truth on these issues, you're actually being formed right. into a certain kind of individual. Um, was it Spurgeon who said, um, if you persist on wearing glasses that distort, everything will be distorted to you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we're allowing distortion and lies through our apathy, abdication and silence. And it actually rots the soul. Um, and, and, and because just as physical atrophy occurs through not using your muscles, so does moral atrophy occur through not using your voice. Yeah. Uh, and, and you'll be a sucker for the first utopian would be tyrant with his false lies and promises that arises amongst you. And this is why Lincoln said, you've lost the genius of your own independence, um, we no longer can even define what self-government looks like or what it ought to be. Uh, and so, Katie, that was incredible. I I, I got to figure out how to, we got to figure out how to get you into more churches. Um, unfortunately, they'll have to be charismatic um, because, you know, and I, 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 I'm more reformed. I, I, pro I probably agree women shouldn't be preaching, but we need to do a special or something where, where you come out into these churches that not behind the pulpit maybe, but, but I got lots of charismatic friends that would let you rip and preach for an hour and a half on their, on, from their pulpit. Anyways, I'll we got to get you. <laughs> I, I am, um, if I write my, so I have a new book coming out in September on parenting, but if I write a third book, it is going to be a practical defense of male headship right in the home and in the church because why do you hate yourself katie <laughs> that's toxic femininity <laughs> know, can't you tell that i'm absolutely like a wallflower <laughs> barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen all the time like literally doing nothing with my life because of <laughs> complementarianism that i have to like sit under all the time obviously i'm seriously oppressed. seriously oppressed. so um but i will say about churches i've got a church curriculum a small group video curriculum that is in development right now on all the marriage and family issues it's our book in video form with a companion workbook. So hopefully that will be available by the end of the year. And if you want, just go to our website, thembeforeus.com, get onto our mailing list, and then you can keep up on, we've got our hands in some crazy, incredible things right now. Good. I'm on the advisory board for Jordan Peterson's new project. And so, oh, wow. I know it's, it's kind of nuts. Um, and so they're letting me like write position papers on marriage and family for them, which is wow. crazy. So come to the website, sign up. And then when the Katie, video you're, you're out, such a big deal now, I, you're such a, you're, you're so famous. Look at you. I, well, I, you, I know, we, but really all I'm doing is making sandwiches <laughs> for my husband, right? Because I can't <laughs> So I'm very, very limited. I'm very, very oppressed. Um, so yeah, just come and stay up on everything that we're doing because our goal is to center the child in every conversation about marriage and family and we're going to do it and you should totally, you should come with us. Amen. Well, Simone de Beauvoir would not be very proud of you, Katie. She's very upset with you right now. Um, anyways, uh, that's amazing. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you understand if you're listening to this that that um, Katie just uh, spoke at a depth of understanding that transcends most pulpits in America and most um, um, uh, 
uh, seminary trained pastors um, who who just learned theology and never learned all of Christ for all of life, never learned what um, <laughs> a theocracy looks like, because we're actually always living under a theocracy and we always will. The question is not, will there be a theocracy, but who, who's, who's, who's theocracy? Yep. And so that, that was profound, Katie. Uh, thank you for giving us so much of, of your time now that you're, you're, um, a, a Jordan Peterson, um, a, apparently, uh, cheerleader or something. I, I had no idea that you were such a big deal now, but, um, but guys go to them before us, get Katie's book. Her new book comes out in the fall, right? It's called How to Raise Conservative Kids in a Woke City. Yeah. Um, try not to get lynched um, by a rainbow in Seattle. Katie, be careful, okay? Keep keep your male headship uh, concealed carried husband uh, right next to you. And uh, stand fast. We're proud of you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Love what you're doing. Thank you again for your clarity and your ferocity on behalf of the unborn. Amen. Yep, yep. We'll see you on the battlefield. Thank you guys for joining the show today. Uh, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, give the show a rating and review and go to Rumble, subscribe. YouTube hates us. We had to pause. I got two strikes, you know, get, go subscribe at Rumble. And uh, I think I think uh, Katie and Them Before Us actually has a new podcast. Get her book called Them Before Us. Go to their website, support them financially and and try to bring Katie to as many speaking events or or Wednesday night specials at your church or, or as, as you can. I'm telling you, Christian's, have not thought very deeply about these issues and it's a breath of fresh air. And as Katie said, we need to get off the bench. We need to start embracing the truth and beauty of our faith and the ideas that people bled and died to think through and to get correct, return to that orthodoxy and live it in the public square on behalf of children before it's too late. And they're redefining you as a non-human. <laughs> uh, th this is the culture of death and it's time to turn it around. Um, if you want to engage with the White Rose Resistance, go to the whiterose.life and become an ally of the White Rose Resistance and you'll get tools and perks and uh, live calls with me, but we're mobilizing Christian resistance around the country against the culture of death. That is the role of the church to uh, participate in good works that God prepared in advance that you might walk in them. Share this episode with Katie Broadley. Nature is a bigot. <laughs> Share it broadly with your friends, family members, and your pastor. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.